surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is your host, Taylor, and I hope that y'all are moving forward with the transition going into fall, that you are just going with the flow of life because life be happening and shit be going on, okay? So I hope you are taking care of yourselves and that you're excited coming into this podcast episode. I am thrilled about today's guest. I have really loved following her and I'm so excited to finally have her on here to talk about disability and life. And honestly, we get into all of the things. So I hope you're ready and we'll kind of get straight into it because I am just very, very honored and excited to have this guest on. So today I will be speaking with Cyan, who is a 29-year-old disability activist with several rare and chronic illnesses, all of which are incurable. And despite how many people, despite how people may view her electric wheelchair, oxygen, and chest port, uh, she states that she is a young woman with dreams and goals like anyone else her age. She's a model, an activist, a college student, an artist, and a social media influencer, which is how I found her. She's worked with many different brands and recently uh, is going to be in a magazine. So we'll talk about that. Um, And one of my favorite things on her bio, she has, if I'm too much, go find less, which like, oh, that should, that's like, that's the fucking mantra y'all. That's it. If I'm too much, go find less. Okay. That's it. That's literally all the period. Okay. (laughs) Nothing more there. Um, I'm just so excited. We should get straight into into this episode, straight into this interview. Uh, We're going to be talking about disability, sex, relationships, interracial relationships, all of the things as usual, come into this with an open mind, an open heart, open ears, and let's talk about it. So welcome, Cyan, to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to like virtually meet you finally. (laughs) I know, I know. I feel like I've been following you for a while. And so part of me just always feels like, oh, I feel like I would really like hang out with this chick. Like she seems like really fucking cool. And I love everything that you post and that you share. So thank you for your vulnerability online. Thanks for listening to it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, So for folks who don't, know you, for folks who don't follow you um, and are just now being introduced to you, um, I'm wondering kind of where we should start with letting people know who you are, you know, what identities you hold in the world, kind of how you navigate through life with the identities that you hold. Um, Can you share a little bit of just kind of how you identify yourself? Well, my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Puerto Rican, but I'm mixed race. Puerto Ricans are made up of a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am indigenous, I am African, and I am white, which is Spanish mm-hmm. and Portuguese. Um, and I'm disabled. I use an electric wheelchair and um, 
oxygen, obviously, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have, you know, a lot of little medical devices. I have a port. I just got surgery for a new one. Mm-hmm. Um, and navigating the world as a disabled woman of color, especially when trying to make it in the, you know, entertainment, modeling, fashion industry mm-hmm. is extremely difficult. It's frustrating. Um, and I think that that's something I've always been interested in. Not I think, but I have been since I was a child, you know, I did Mm. modeling clubs when I was in high school. I've been applying to agencies since I was 11, maybe 10. Mm. Um, it's been a long journey and I finally got signed, um, within the last two years to two agencies and got my first modeling job. Um, two months ago. And I think I can say it now because it came out this month, um, but it hasn't been posted online. But anyway, not yet. It's going to be posted this week, but it was for Hunger Magazine, which is like a really popular editorial fashion magazine. And I did get that. So that was like reassuring to me that there is something there, but it's really hard with the identities I have to exist in that space because what I've Mm -hmm. noticed is the less marginalized identities you have in the industry, the more successful you will be. Those standards are still there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, first, congrats. That is so exciting and so deserved. So I'm so excited for you. And I can't wait to see you like share that on social when that comes out. Um, that is super exciting. And yeah, I mean... You've got kind of layers of marginalized identities that do make it more difficult um, to, especially in the in the fashion world. Um, but I do always notice your makeup, and mom is like, "Oh, she's doing her makeup so good! Like she's such a such a bomb job on that." Um, even with uh, Naya, I, she's like my little sister. I was showing her your page um, because you had done a reel of like a few different outfits, I want to say it was. Um, It was like a, I want to say it was a 2000s inspired outfit look that you did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We were going through it. Um, And she she just had so many questions. (laughs) Um, I'm sure. But it was so good. So good for her to like, I think, just be aware that other people exist in different ways and also at the same time can do things that you enjoy too, like experimenting with their makeup and trying on different outfits and being involved in fashion, you know, like she watches these like fashion shows or whatever, you know, like all the shit that kids watch that sometimes they probably shouldn't be watching that (laughs) don't have that representation. Yeah. It's important. Um, Mm -hmm. I watched those shows when I was a kid Yeah, and I feel like, I think we grew up in the same, like, you're a millennial, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 28. Okay, so yeah, we're like the same age. I'm 29. Yeah. Um, but like when we grew up, there wasn't really a lot of tan, brown, mixed girls or anything. Mm-hmm. What we saw was usually pencil thin, uh, blonde, blue eyes. Mm-hmm. And we do watch those when we're young, I think, because we're trying to find mm-hmm. someone to relate to or yeah. see you know, ourselves reflected. And when you don't see that at her age or in our age, it's mm-hmm. damaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to take a short break right here with a little check in because y'all know that Dipsy is one of my favorite apps. Okay. It has honestly been since I've been living in the basement, my family, uh, been very hard to find space for pleasure with things with the house, with work, with everything. 
I'm stressed, okay? And it has been hard to go to sleep because I just feel like I need to keep doing work. But honestly, I open up my Dipsy app, which is like all um, audio short, sexy stories that are designed to turn you on and they do just that. And honestly, sex is like my happy place, y'all, okay? It is my escape. And they also do have things um, like wellness sessions. They have things that are really relaxing. Like one of them was... um, uh, like the fireplace was on and the man was just like drawing, like sketching in the background and just like really relaxing noises. And, you know, it's like you're by yourself. So you listen to it and it's relaxing or you're with a partner and you want to listen to something that's sexy to get you kind of in the mood. Um, my favorite is I listen to the ones that are just him and you. So you can filter it for like him and her, her and her, him and him, whatever, whatever floats your boat, uh, to hear these like little sexy stories. And uh, I'll share a little bit of the one I listened to last night. We were out to dinner, okay, me and my date in in our story. We were out to dinner and um, we went into the bathroom and he put a little vibrator in my underwear. And then when we went back and sat down at the table, he was like talking about like the anticipation and like all the things and what he did and... Actually, I did listen to two last night. The other one, we were at like a uh, show. Um, so like you hear like, you know, the background of like people talking like way in the background and like we're up in like this balcony as like the show's about to start and he's like like taking his fingers like up my thighs and like and I like I'm I'm gonna get distracted okay uh but highly highly recommend Dipsy they are my favorite to listen to uh for listeners of the show I'm so excited Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash Taylor so it's 30 days okay I just gave y'all a small little glimpse of what I listened to last night um you can explore that for 30 days for free okay Spread the word, share it with your friends. Go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash Taylor. Again, that's dipsystories.com slash Taylor and enjoy yourself, okay? Make space for that pleasure. We all deserve it. There's too many things happening. Just unwind and escape into some sexy time, okay? And with all that, we can get back to the show. For you, you started off in the industry like as an able-bodied person. Um, and I think, you know, in some ways your story is unique when people think of uh, the disabled community that there's often this like, oh, well, it's them and it's just these people because they're born this way. Mm-hmm. And there isn't much thought to the fact that like, any one of us could become disabled at any point in our lives. Um, And you kind of were going through life, you know, I would say maybe almost as if most of our listeners were, um, and then started running into some medical problems. And now you hold this identity that you didn't have for majority of your life, or at least it wasn't identified. Um, So I'm wondering if you can kind of share a little bit about that part of your life. Absolutely. I would love to, not a lot of people ask. So this is awesome. Uh, um, What's really wild about the whole thing is that I was born with a genetic illness. I was born with these immune deficiencies and all these things. And I went through life having a lot of health issues, but I never identified as being disabled, Mm. even though, you know, I was having seizures when I was a young adult, I was having stomach problems, a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And 
I just didn't identify as chronically ill even then, just because doctors, you know, were like, you're mostly healthy. Like you're just anxious. You're having, you know, they thought I had um, borderline personality disorder at one time and I mm-hmm. believed it because I was having mood swings, but then found out lack of blood flow to the brain, lack of oxygen to the brain is going to make you moody. Yeah. <laughs> yes. like Hormone issues. I mean, it was just like the perfect storm. Um, mm-hmm. But when they're not looking for that and they don't look for that in young women, they always say you look yeah. good, you know, um, and I looked good. I still look good, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> saying that. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I looked good. Like I was walking, I was working, I was trying to um, live, even though I didn't feel well. I felt sick mm-hmm. all the time, but I just didn't think there was anything major wrong with me. So I did pageants and I did mm-hmm. my first pageant when I was 21 and lost. And then came back and did it again, Mm -hmm. won that one, went to States, lost, went back again and ended up winning Miss Maryland for the Miss World Organization. Mm -hmm. And I did all that as what I thought I was as an able-bodied person, Um, struggled a lot after that year, physically started declining Mm -hmm. really fast. And um, when I look back on those pictures, it's like I'm looking at somebody else to be honest mm-hmm. with you, um, the whole process of being told that you are okay or that it's in your head or that you're mentally ill, which is a totally valid, you know, valid illnesses too. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that they were treating me because they thought that I was mentally ill was yeah. really traumatizing. And even when I would go to the ER just weeks before I was in the ICU, like, they, there was one one ER that didn't want to run any tests, didn't want to do anything. They just sent me home. And then the next mm. week after a surgery, I was in the ICU. And that was really traumatizing. It mm. was only two years ago. So mm. it still is a trauma that I'm processing and dealing with. Um, yeah. And my body has changed a lot. You know, I I found Mm -hmm. out I need steroids. I'm on steroids. I have been for the last two years. Mm -hmm. I have uh, low cortisol. They don't know why, but it can be dangerous. So you need to stay on cortisol because if you don't have any cortisol, you'll drop dead. Like it's Mm -hmm. very dangerous. And this is something I was going through life, not even knowing (laughs) existed. And my body's changed with the steroids. I've gained 50 pounds. I used to be really thin. Mm -hmm. I have scars everywhere. And it's a lot. To go from that to to walking down a runway and doing a little bit of acting to Mm -hmm. being in an electric wheelchair, using oxygen, having scars and all this stuff. It was Mm -hmm. hard. And then I realized when I got um, into back into the modeling world, it was hard before as a person of color. But, you know, I have a privilege being a light skinned girl and Mm -hmm. pretty privilege and I was thin. So those were all working in my favor. Mm-hmm. But then I became disabled and I became considered plus size because I'm a size 10 to 12. And before mm-hmm. I was zero and scars and wheelchairs and the way that the industry has been since that, I was just like, wow, whole other world. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that it's still an industry that you want to be in given all of that? Or is it like, yeah, I want to fight to be that representation or like, I don't want anything to do with that. Like, how do you, 
mm-hmm. figure out your your place or make space for your place in that. I've had a lot of emotions about continuing in the modeling mm-hmm. industry. I've been so angry that I've been like, I'm fucking done. Like, yeah. fuck this shit. Like, it hurts so bad. But it's hard mm-hmm. to let go of something that has been a part of me in some way since I was a little girl. And it is mm-hmm. something that I'm passionate about. And it's not something I want to give up on. There are some people that look like me in the industry that are wheelchair users. There's like two I know off the top of my head, Jillian Mercado and Aaron Phillip. Um, Mm -hmm. They use electric wheelchairs and all that. But those are the only ones I know of. And that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if they weren't there for me to look at and look up to, maybe I wouldn't be strong enough to push through all the discrimination and capitalism mm-hmm. and everything else that's in the industry um, mm-hmm. because I've wanted to give up, but it's just something I'm, I feel I have to do and that I'm really determined to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I understand that, you know, especially cause it's been a part of you since you were a child and you know, that, that anger has a purpose, that frustration has a purpose. And often we end up wanting to use that when it is in some kind of, uh, when it's because of an injustice of some kind, we want to use that anger to fight it and, you know, make it different and try to make it just. Um, and, you know, as hard as it is, um, I know that you do also have, at least from what it appears, I'm making an assumption here, but it seems like you have a very good support system through navigating all of this. Um, You are married, you have a husband and, um, oh my God, you did this one reel where it was like, uh, show me what love looks like. And it was like all the stages of your relationship and it was like so beautiful and so sweet. Um, and you have been with him since before, um, becoming disabled and he's been, seems very supportive of your entire process and experience throughout this. And, um, I always say like, if you have a good support system, like you can really like make it through some tough shit. Like it really comes down to our support system. You're absolutely right. And that's a privilege in itself. You know, a lot of people who aren't disabled, they don't have anybody. And a lot of the reasons Mm -hmm. they don't have anybody is because of ableism. You know, people have this idea that uh, people that are disabled can't be partners, can't be in romantic Mm -hmm. relations, can't have sex, you know, all of that stuff. But I was already with him, like you said. And um, I think Mm -hmm. that he is the type of person where... And had he met me when I was like this, I think he still would have pursued me. He pursued me for mm-hmm. over a year before I went out with him, by the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, he's, I think everybody thinks the person they love is different, but he is different. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. He's a little nerdy. He's, you know, sweet. He's emotional. He cries more than I do. He would hate to do that. <laughs> yeah. He cries a lot more than I do for movies. If he's happy for me, like he's mm-hmm. just a good person man and he's a white man and we're in an interracial relationship and he understands that he has privileges and I have Mm. benefit from those privileges and I think Mm. that's rare to find like everything that he is it is (laughs) who aren't disabled you know it's it's hard Mm -hmm. to find that so I'm lucky Mm -hmm. yeah well so what can you share a little bit about like what those conversations looked like in the beginning stages of your relationship, um, given that, that he is white and that you hold these other identities? 
Um, in the beginning of our relationship, it really wasn't something we talked about, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, it became more of like something that we had to talk about when I mm. would encounter people, forgive me from the church, and I'm not mm-hmm. Christian anymore because yeah. of these reasons, but who didn't treat me well because mm-hmm. I'm too liberal or, you know, um, I believe in white privilege or, you know, mm. black lives matter and all these things. Um, the church has definitely got a lot of shit backwards. It does. And when you're kind of yeah. in the South, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not a fun place to be. Um, yeah. but it was when those things started happening that we started to talk about, you know, the fact that I am Puerto Rican, that I am of mixed race. And, mm-hmm. um, he, I think like any, you know, I don't want to say anything bad, but I think like any person who has privilege at first, there's this like defense that comes mm-hmm. up. And I think we've all have done it. Um, mm-hmm. Or it's just like, what do you mean? Especially if you don't understand what they're, what yeah. they're saying. Um, and there's not a lot of education on white privilege. So you hear that and you think privilege as like, you're lucky or something like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, it is, but you know, that's a whole other thing. But um, yeah. it was you know, he was like, what do you mean? But then we talked about it and he started understanding. He started watching documentaries on his own. Mm. Like he did the work. Um, yeah. And it took time, you know, especially because he, mm-hmm. he grew up in a conservative household. Yeah. Um, but he very much thinks like I do, you know, now mm-hmm. like, he understands and um, he sees a lot of it now too. You know, mm-hmm. he made me be treated differently. He, he saw me a couple of times be treated differently around people who might mm-hmm. be a little racist or, mm-hmm. you know, and so mm-hmm. when he sees it, it's like, wait, wow, it's there, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's become a, it's something we still talk about often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like he definitely opened himself up to be able to learn and challenge the bias and perhaps some of the values or beliefs that he originally held to be able to hold you in, in relationship, um, which I always think is fantastic when folks can do that because typically that doesn't only extend to the person that they're in relationship with. It extends out to other people of color as well. Um, and, you know, it sounds like he was open to unpacking that. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how, when you were diagnosed mm-hmm. or, you know, when you were kind of going through this process of like, oh, like I'm disabled, like I have a chronic illness and all of this, mm-hmm. what parts of maybe even your own internalized ableism or his ableism, like how that showed up, how y'all worked through that? I definitely think I had more ableism than he did. Um, he was very supportive. Um, if, of course it was emotionally difficult for us, yeah. it was, I was going through a lot of trauma. So sometimes, and I mm-hmm. never shared this before, but I used to just scream at the top of my lungs and cry mm-hmm. for hours. Like, yeah, cause it's so different, you know, like mm-hmm. it was a lot at first. It was very traumatizing for the both of us. Yeah. Um, but he handled it, <laughs> you know, really mm-hmm. well. Um, the conversations we would have would be like, I don't feel beautiful. I don't feel sexy. Mm-hmm. Like I'm wearing this and you want to like, mm, you know, have relations. Mm-hmm. Like I can't breathe, you know? And mm-hmm. he's like, I don't care about that. You're still sexy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, or my port, like I'll be accessed one day and I can't I have to stay accessed for a few days. And he's like, oh, let's, you know, <laughs> have some fun. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, I feel so insecure, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I would start crying and mm-hmm. he's just, 
he was just as excited about everything as he's always mm. been. Um, he's mm. never like embarrassed of me. Um, mm. He's, it was mostly me. It was me mm. that had a problem with me. Mm-hmm. And he was the easy part. It was me like that. Mm. I had to learn about ableism. I had to learn about disability. I had to learn how to live in a world where people were treating me much different than before. Yeah. Um, and we talked about it a lot and there was a lot of reassurance that there was nothing wrong with me and it was everybody else. Mm-hmm. The problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that just becomes extra hard and is a lot to unpack when you have moved through the world as, you know, a more so an able-bodied person to where you are now confronted with perhaps some of those thoughts or judgments of what people with disabilities looked like or were like. And now it's like, holy fuck, that's me now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you know, what's bizarre about it too, is that (laughs) I think because I had so many health issues in my Mm -hmm. mind, there were times, especially when a few years before all this happened, I was getting tested for MS and I thought like, what would it be like to be mm. a wheelchair user? Like, how would that feel? And I was thinking that while I was going through this testing, yeah, I was having neurological issues. They could have figured it out. Um, and then I just put that away in the back of my mind. And then I think it was 18, two years later after that, I was, this was four years ago, you know, that happened <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was, it doesn't even measure up with what I was thinking. Not even close. Mm-hmm. How so? Well, I think you don't think about inaccessibility being a problem everywhere. Like it's not just about parking spots. Like I used to think, mm-hmm. oh, there's accessible parking spots. That's great. There's never enough. There is never enough because I think doctors overprescribe um, mm-hmm. disability placards. And there's been a lot of uh, conversations about this, um, people abusing them. Yeah. Um, And then there's like, you don't think about not being able to reach to the top of the shelf in the store. Mm -hmm. You don't think about the fact that, yes, there's ramps, but sometimes they're in the most inconvenient places, like way over here in the stores over here or Mm -hmm. behind the building. You don't think about um, seating in a restaurant. Like, you know, um, Mm -hmm. there's so much uh, getting a car to fit the wheelchair you use. Like we don't have the right car for the wheelchair that I'm supposed to be using all the time. So I can't go out for long periods of time. Like that's not something that I thought about (laughs) or the biggest thing I didn't think about home accessibility. Mm -hmm. I I have an accessibility all over my home because we rent, we live in 400 square Mm -hmm. feet. It's tiny. Yeah. Hard. The walls are all marked up. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. It's, this is, I don't know what's harder out there or in here. Mm -hmm. And I didn't Mm -hmm. expect that. I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then how do you even navigate on a day-to-day basis just in your home with all of that inaccessibility? I'm going to be honest with you. I sit in one spot all day, basically. It's here. Yeah. This is my couch because I can't do mm-hmm. much else. The kitchen, tiny, the bathroom, you could really mm-hmm. only get one person in it. The shower, yeah. it's not working for me anymore. We have a seat in there, but it's becoming mm-hmm. harder and harder and harder to fit in there. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I don't, I can't do much. I used to cook in the beginning of my illness because it wasn't as bad as it, you know, it's gotten. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
it was painful. I'm cooking sideways. You know, the counters are too mm-hmm. high. I have arthritis. That's painful. Things are too high up. I'm burning myself on the oven because it opens like mm-hmm. this and not like up higher. It's so hard. And with the housing mm-hmm. market, the way it is, like yeah. it's hard enough for people our age um, trying to buy a house in the middle of the mm-hmm. pandemic. In you know, the people, the older people never had to go through what we're going through. But when yeah. you throw in the disability, you can't just buy any house. Mm-hmm. You have to pay for that house and then you have to pay to make all the changes, which are yep. cheap. They are even more expensive than you would think that they were. Even when you think, oh, it's expensive, it's more expensive and it fucking sucks. Yes, it does. And we've been saving up to the point yep. where I think we're almost ready to just build something. We've been saving for years, mm-hmm. even before I got sick, because there was, you know, we just wanted to save. But now yeah. it's like we need it for this. But then after we buy a house, mm-hmm. we still need a van. We still, you know, it's yeah. ending. <laughs> Yeah. Well, like 400 square feet though. It's tiny. Like, girl, that's real tiny. Tiny house living. (laughs) Yes. And that's something that the two of you wanted. It is something that we wanted before. And you were in this space before? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, we were. And, you know, I was still working. And mm-hmm. he's, he's in school. He hadn't gotten his associates. He has his associates and he's graduating next year with his bachelor's. So nice. like we never had a ton of money, but we were okay. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And we could, li- we love tiny houses. We wanted to, you know, have a mobile tiny house. Mm-hmm. And then this happened. Then I lost my, you know, I had to leave my job. We didn't have the extra income. And then it became sort of like, okay, now we're kind of stuck here. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we we kind of didn't have much of a choice before either, but at, I was working. Yeah. So I think it worked out because it could have been worse. We could have moved to a bigger apartment or something before this happened and mm-hmm. wouldn't have been able to possibly pay the rent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. That is true. I mean, the two of you have really had to like grow up, I want to say, in a lot of ways and growing up sucks because you have to deal with all of this bullshit and that is just so much stress it is and I don't think a lot of people understand that you know like Mm -hmm. I think they see and it's partially maybe my fault because I'm I mean I think I'm open but I don't show a lot of what I'm struggling that is not your fault I'm gonna stop you right there (laughs) that is not your fault I feel like Okay, maybe it's not my fault, but for some reason my mind thought that. But it's just like, I'm dressed up. I'm wearing, but people don't know where I got my clothes. This whole outfit was like 12 bucks. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, I get a lot of hand-me-downs. Like, mm-hmm. our, most of our furniture was hand-me-downs. Like, and mm-hmm. it's, oh, like, people don't realize how hard it is, especially the older mm-hmm. generation. And then you throw in being a person of color and then you th- throw in being a, disabled person of color mm-hmm. and it's it's hard and like you said we had to grow up faster and mm-hmm. I think I think one of the hardest parts about it is watching other people reach milestones that mm. uh, you wanted like having children or you know right before mm. my surgery I actually visited an OBGYN and was planning to have a baby I had a pregnancy mm. book and then a few weeks later 
you know, that happened. And now there's like five people I know that are pregnant right now. Mm -hmm. And two of them are in my family. And I'm so happy for them. But I still feel pain when I see Mm -hmm. them. And it's a part of disability. I don't think a lot of people talk about They're like, well, you can still have a baby. No, if I can't take care of myself, it's not Mm -hmm. that I'm, you know, at first I had the ableist view of, I don't want to pass on my illnesses to this child since there is genetic you know, Ehlers-Danlos, mutations, all these other things. I didn't want to give that to my child. I don't care about that anymore. My child would be fine. I'm okay, you know? But Mm -hmm. it's the taking care of the child. I can't lift more than like, I don't know, half a pound without passing out. Mm -hmm. I mean, how would I, you know, do that? So that's Mm -hmm. been the hardest part is watching people have babies, buy houses, you know, and it's happening. It seems maybe because I'm, you know, sick and disabled that, and kind of stagnant that it seems like I'm seeing everybody do it. Mm -hmm. And that's traumatic in itself. You know, you had a dream that you were, I had bought a pregnancy book. I was ready. We were ready. We said after surgery, we're going for it. Mm -hmm. And the surgery was for endometriosis. So I was like, cool, I'll be able to conceive. (laughs) Like that's not what, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was just Mm -hmm. not the path that I was supposed yeah. to. Yeah. I mean, you have to grieve mm-hmm. a future that you envisioned for yourself and for your relationship and, and your family that now looks very different or isn't even accessible. Absolutely. I think you hit it, the nail on the head. It's like, you can't really see, I can't really see the future, you know, and that's not to be mm-hmm. morbid, but that's just reality. It's like people mm-hmm. get board infections and death and die. This is just the truth. People with my condition have died. I have autoimmune autonomic ganglionopathy. So my immune system's attacking and damaging my nervous system, which controls your heart rate, your digestion, Mm -hmm. your breathing. If that's destroyed, you know? So when Mm -hmm. I look in the future, I'm like, what's even going to happen? I don't know. But that's why I feel such an eagerness to do uh, what I want to do now and have the dreams that I have and go to school and do everything that I can, because I don't know. I have, mm-hmm. I have the hope that I'll live another 20 to 30 years, but I don't know. You know, I almost died mm-hmm. already twice. I have no, I have no mm-hmm. idea what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do the two of you like, uh, just even navigate all of that? Like, it's just, it's so, intense and it's literally a conversation of like life or death essentially um within your relationship and i mean yeah that's just got to be so hard it is and he my husband i told you he's emotional but yes he yes. cries he cries whenever i think mm-hmm. we talk about it but we've talked about you know doing a well we started to do like advanced directives i believe is what it's called mm-hmm. Um, but we did that too early and I wasn't ready. Mm. So I never finished it. Um, mm-hmm. we've talked about it and we do, we do marriage counseling, you know, cause yeah. what happened to us was very traumatic and that's yeah. helpful, but we've talked about all that and, um, it's hard. I mean, I think generally I'm okay thinking about mm-hmm. it. I worry about my husband and my parents, you know, um, mm-hmm. And people say, well, you look great. You know, that's not going to happen. Like you're, you know, 
fine. <laughs> yeah. But you don't know when you have a chronic illness, anything can happen. It doesn't even matter if it's what I have. It can be anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like there it's, um, just hearing you share parts of your experience and like your story and, and your life, it sounds like there's such a, a balance of like dealing with trauma and stress and inaccessibility and grieving and just this really heavy, intense, life-altering things with also this beautiful support and like joy and like the small things almost of just like even him, you know, still, uh, really like assuring you around your worth and, and your beauty and sexuality and like the, I want to say eagerness, but maybe that's not the right word, but his, um, pursuit of you in that way of just like seeing you for you and still engaging with you in an intimate way in that way that like is so beautiful, um, that it's like really, I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking of both of these things being held at the same time, um, I'm wondering if that's how you experience it. Yeah, I'm actually quite surprised how well you explained it. <laughs> you know, like a lot of people don't get it, but yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's it's complex. There's a lot of layers. Mm-hmm. You can be both happy about something small that happened, we both can be, and then still be grieving another part of that same thing that we're happy about, Mm -hmm. you know, like building a home together, hopefully soon. And then realizing we can't have kids, you know, at least not right now. Mm -hmm. And then there's this, yes, we're moving forward and, you know, possibly building a house. And then there's the, our house is going to be empty, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like really complex. Um, I don't know if a lot of relationships would survive what we've been through. Um, but when we first started dating the next month after we started dating, which was like November, 2015, I believe I was in the hospital with, uh, sepsis because of a double Mm. kidney infection. And he was there every day without showering, without anything. Mm. And that was like his first taste of, Mm -hmm. you know, what it's going to look like in just a few years. (laughs) Yeah, um, that neither of you knew. <laughs> yeah, we were just, we were freshly started dating. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just very loyal, very committed. He's mature mm-hmm. and immature in other ways, but, mm-hmm. you know, and mature in the ways that you need a man to be. Yeah. Um, or any partner, not just a man, any partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so. He sounds like a cancer. Is he a cancer? He is. How did you know that? I knew it. I'm a cancer. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I got to tell him that. That's crazy. You're like, he cries a lot. He's really emotional. He's really caring. He's so supportive. I was like, "Mm, I'm getting some cancer vibes here. He is. And I'm a Pisces and we're like one of the most compatible signs. But anyways, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I got to tell him that. I love it. I love it. Um, Well, and I think like, uh, I guess one area of this that I want to dig a little bit deeper into, um, because I think... I mean, like I had scoliosis, so I have um, metal rods in my back from my neck down to my spine, um, down my butt. Um, and 
you know, it, there are ways in which it causes discomfort and changes my relationship with my body and changes the way that I kind of navigate through things. Um, I've never necessarily identified myself as a part of like the disabled community. Um, but I do think about how life shit can just happen and then boom, you know, you're in a different period of your life that you never would have imagined for yourself and how that changes the relationship with your body. Um, you know, and I guess I'm wondering if you're open to sharing a little bit more and digging deeper into this part of like your relationship with your body, like even intimately, like how you are able to show love for your body, how you are able to experience pleasure in your body? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've always had a complicated relationship with my body. Even before mm-hmm. this, I had an eating yeah. disorder growing up. I was heavily bullied and that I moved from the islands to Southern California, which is like where a lot of blondes and, you know, white people yeah. live. <laughs> and so I got mm-hmm. bullied for that and it made me feel uh, like I hated the parts that were brown of me that I hated where I was from, that I didn't want to speak Spanish, that I didn't want to do none of that. And so Mm -hmm. I had developed an eating disorder and then I got over that when I was 19 years old. And then I started doing pageants and that actually helped a lot with my Um, self-esteem. People think it does the opposite. Yeah, yeah. For a small number of people, but most people like me who were shy, who was self, Mm -hmm. you know, nervous all the time and didn't like the way I looked. It did the complete opposite for me. It made me feel good. Mm. Um, And then when this happened, oh, um, I I don't even know how to explain it because I felt confused, I think. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't know how I felt at that time. But once I started to get used to the fact that this wasn't going away, because it took me a couple Mm -hmm. months to get correct diagnoses, um, I always, I, I put off getting a walker. I put off getting a manual wheelchair because I was like, no, I'm going to get better. No, I'm going to get better. And Mm -hmm. instead of getting better, I, you know, got worse. And, um, I just started doing the same thing. One day I just was like, I'm just going to do the same thing I was doing before. I don't care. Like, I don't care. Like I'm going to try and, um, would dress up, would do my makeup, would do my hair, would look at myself and be like, you know, I look good. And it was just like a kind of like a fake it till you make it sort of thing that I'm doing right now with my new scars from the new surgery. It's just like Mm -hmm. getting used to that. This is part of me and, and, you know, it sucks kind of like what I went through, but there's beauty and strength. There's beauty in my scars. This is a part of me Mm -hmm. now. This is human diversity. Like I should be proud of my body Mm -hmm. because it's been through a lot. And Mm -hmm. that helps me even with the weight gain, which I think was probably the hardest thing for me. Um, Mm. Like I said, going from a zero to like a size 10 to 12 in two years is, it's fast. Mm -hmm. And that was hard because all of a sudden my clothes weren't fitting. And I, for a while there, I couldn't buy any new clothes because I didn't have enough money. So I was just wearing like PJ pants and that was really hard. Um, and then I started making some money on social media and, you know, mm-hmm. I dress myself up every day. I do my makeup every single day. 
And when I feel my worst, that's when I do it the, the most extra, you know, mm-hmm. that's when I need it. It's not for anybody else. Mm-hmm. It's because it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like how I was before, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, because I am mm-hmm. the same in some ways. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Doing it because it makes you feel good because that's how you were. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a way, yes, because it gives me, I lost so much you know, mm-hmm. of, yeah. yeah. And, and it, it also has taught me that who I am has nothing to do with mm-hmm. my, if I have scars, if I use a wheelchair, um, if I use oxygen, like I still know how to get dressed and look nice. Like I'm mm-hmm. more successful, I think now than I was before. And I think that in a way, what I've been through has given me more confidence mm-hmm. and I love myself more than I have ever loved myself at any period of time. And that's mm-hmm. huge because, like I said, the rapid weight gain, the stretch marks, the scars, mm-hmm. everything. And I feel the most beautiful now. Mm-hmm. How do you affirm yourself of that? Like, what does that look like internally? If it's your internal dialogue of, you know, finding that appreciation, acknowledging those parts that you love, providing compassion to your body and and what it's doing for you and what it's going through. Um, How do you affirm? What does that look like? I think for me, it's looking at models like Jillian Mm -hmm. um, and seeing myself in them Mm -hmm. and um, seeing them feel beautiful and realizing like they are beautiful. They are beautiful, you know, Mm -hmm. stunning first of all, but like there's beauty in their disability and there's so much beauty there. That's part of their identity. That's human diversity. And, and then I also look at my own pictures sometimes and I'm like, damn, that's a good picture. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, that's, and even when I'm feeling really, really bad, especially about like, it still happens where I'm like, if I was white, you know, if mm-hmm. I was white, and that happens still, I'll like go and look up photos of beautiful women that are mm-hmm. the same mixture that I am. Um, and I'll be like, what am I talking about? Like, <laughs> I look, mm-hmm. you know, great. Like, I should be proud of my culture. I should be proud of work. It's just, it's work. You know, you have to, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I put a lot into artwork too. Like I, I draw, I'm working on a picture right now um, mm. that talks about those identities, you know, mm. um, writing, therapy. Yeah. Therapy, lots of therapy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask if there, I know you mentioned couples therapy earlier um, and therapy has been a part of this process for you. Yeah, yeah, I'm in couples therapy and then I have my own therapy. Mm-hmm. So I do therapy like twice a week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think everybody should do it, honestly. It's amazing mm-hmm. and it, it's been what's gotten me through, I think, a lot of those. Yeah. And she's taught me how to affirm myself and believe in myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you find it difficult at all to find a therapist that wasn't like perpetuating and uh, projecting out their own ableism onto you? Um, I specifically looked for a therapist that was a woman of color. And this yeah. was the first therapist that I actively looked for that was a woman of color mm-hmm. because I could not relate to anybody else. Yeah. She has been the best therapist I've ever had. She's far from being ableist. Um, I feel Mm -hmm. like she understands some of the things that I feel in other ways. Um, Mm -hmm. she's a black woman. Yeah. And, um, 
I haven't felt anything like that. I think my husband, when he was trying to get a therapist, um, mm-hmm. he was told like, this sounds like it's out of my specialty. And he still has not found a therapist mm. because he's told them like, my wife is disabled. She's sick and this, da, da, da. and they get scared <laughs> and they don't want to take him, but it's not something oh, boy. I've dealt with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering what kind of resources you have been able to find or within community or perhaps within your therapist, or perhaps it's just the two of you figuring shit out, mm-hmm. but resources around how you can navigate within your disability, sexual pleasure for the two of you. Mm-hmm. Like, do you find that there are resources out there that there are um, other people speaking on this that helps give you kind of guidance in this area? Or he was just kind of like the two of you got creative and were like, these are things we can do. Let's experiment. Mm-hmm. Like what that looked like. Um, I'm going to be honest. It's exactly the same <laughs> as it was mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only difference is that he's on top most of the time. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it's not different. We haven't changed anything. Yeah. I, I don't, we never looked for any additional resources, but what I will say is that since I do have nerve issues, like mm-hmm. it started to affect me in other ways, mm-hmm. um, sensations and things like that. Um, yeah. so I think that I was just actually about to start finding more creative mm-hmm. ways um, mm-hmm. there is a brand called Euphoria that has a lot of sexual yeah. wellness pro- products. And I think I'm, I'm going to be probably working with them soon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not a toy person. Like I've never mm. been, especially cause I have a lot of pain in the pelvic area. Yeah. Um, but like sexual wellness things like oils and things like that, like mm-hmm. I think that'll help a lot, but yeah. it's a new problem that we've mm-hmm. had. Yeah. Foria is great. I've worked with them in the past. Love their products. They're great. I'm happy to hear. I hope that they do work with you and that you get to share that. Um, I think, yeah, like that makes sense that with some of the nerve complications that toys might not actually be as pleasurable. Mm -hmm. Um, And you mentioned pelvic floor. I actually literally just, I want to say it's the episode before you, um, interviewed a pelvic floor therapist. Um, is that something that like your doctors have mm-hmm. recommended or that you've experimented with? They have, but my concern is, you know, what is their experience with connective tissue diseases with, mm-hmm. you know, all the other things that I have, because even when a, even when a gynecologist just does an exam, it's a problem. Like I could be crying mm-hmm. sometimes. So I know a lot yeah. of pelvic floor therapy is internal, and I've been, you know, that's something my doctor to do, told me to do a couple of times. It's not something I think I'm ready to do yet. Um, mm-hmm. But I do, I have researched it. There are exercises you can do. Yeah. You don't have to have anything in there. And I mm-hmm. do those regularly because of course my bladder is affected too. Yep. Yep. Um, but I've considered it just not ready to have an yeah. invasive <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe you can get connected with the woman that I had on. She was really great. And she did talk a lot about like a lot of what she does is without the examination, oh. um, like without actually being internal. Um, so well, that maybe be- she has other resources too or something. Um, yeah, I would like that. Cause my doctor said like, 
that they do a lot of internal. And I was like, okay, well then no. But, you know, I would <laughs> yeah. for her for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just so many different things. I'm honestly amazed sometimes at the shit that we handle as adults, especially as women, especially as women of color. Um, and then add on top of that, also being disabled. Like, yeah, I I very much wish that people had more perspective of how fucking much people are carrying with them. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it just sounds like you, like, you have to carry so many different things and there's so many different areas of your health to be concerned about. And that is like, yeah, I don't even know how you fucking (laughs) focus on work or modeling or doing your makeup when you have all of that also to be thinking about. Um, Yeah. It's... uh, I don't think I would adjust well. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot, especially because, you know, I started school last year too. Yeah. So I have had moments where I was like, I'm fucking done. Like moments of suicidal Mm -hmm. ideation, moments... Mm -hmm. Like those those are all real things that I don't think people talk about for fear of being stigmatized because mental illness Mm -hmm. is so... Oh, it's... You know, when they thought I was mentally ill, I would still say that that was worse than the way I've been treated now. Doctors believe Mm -hmm. me now. But before, I was treated horribly, not just by the health community, but like by other people who thought that I was mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it, this whole thing, it does affect you mentally. And a lot of people do have yeah. chronic or mental illnesses because this shit is hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. that's why I stress therapy because it keeps you mentally healthy when that shit gets really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a lot. And, you know, a lot of people can't believe that this is a lot of people's realities, but like this mm-hmm. is real life. <laughs> this has happened. Yeah. Well, it also, it's like, yeah, a lot of people can't believe it because also a lot of people aren't exposed to it and it's not shown and it's kind of like pushed to the side of like, oh yeah, like the disabled people, like the handicapped people, like they're over there, you know, like they're, you're very much othered within that community. So it serves able-bodied people to not see the amount of stress and all of that shit that you actually do deal with. And I mean, then I feel like that just kind of potentially like benefits certain systems within our society of, you know, medical field, perhaps, um, insurance companies perhaps um i don't know everything everything really yeah Mm -hmm. yeah oh so you mentioned makeup your outfits how else do you love on you meditation uh Mm -hmm. i love uh hertz frequencies Someone Hmm. told me about that actually last year and um, like for healing. And I was just kind of like, you know, rolled my eyes like, Mm -hmm. because I did meditate already. I just never heard of Hertz frequencies. But then Mm -hmm. I was like, whatever, what's the hell? Let me try this. Um, And it was very mentally healing for me. I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. it's not going to cure any type of anything, the mental illness itself or anything, but it was... Uh, it keeps, I would say it helps me because if I'm all stressed out mentally, like my physical health will suffer. So meditation, writing, um, I did get this 
cool star projector because going outside can mm-hmm. shoot for me. And I've, it's like looking up at the stars at night. And that's yeah. very much self-care and self-love. Um, mm-hmm. Candles, um, eating. <laughs> I love food. Mm-hmm. Like, I love food. Um, school can even be, sometimes if it's not too stressful, it feels like self-care to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm wondering, you know, I feel like I could keep talking to you for a very long time and I'm so, so happy that we finally got to connect on here. Um, But I am wondering as we wrap up here, if there's anything that you would want to share to folks who are maybe kind of in the position that you were in like two years ago, like perhaps there's somebody listening who is kind of in that transition of coming to terms with having a disability while previously being able-bodied. If there's anything that you would maybe say to that version of yourself today? Yes. Um, I would say what you're feeling right now is completely valid. You have every right to feel it and you should feel it, but don't sit there too long. Um, Try and get back up. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you can't get back up on your own, you try to get resources, therapy. And I know not everyone has the privilege of having access to those things, but try and connect with people online who might be going through what you're Mm -hmm. going through. That's, that was something that helped me in the beginning Um, Mm -hmm. and try and create a support system. And if Mm -hmm. it get really hard, there's nothing wrong with going and seeking, you know, hospitalization Mm -hmm. for your mental health. Um, It's not something I've had to do yet, but I have the privilege of having access to an online therapist. Not a lot of people have that, Um, but Mm -hmm. it's just like, I mean, I could tell them a lot of different things and, not to let go of the person you were before. Like, don't let go of your old dreams or anything like that. You can, I think people can still do whatever. If they have a dream, Mm -hmm. you know, like you got to just figure out a way to do it different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, for you wanting to model and be in the fashion industry, like you can still do those things. It just looks different. And it's harder. You just got to get ready for that because of Mm -hmm. the added um, discrimination and ableism, but I mean, there's nothing yeah. ever going to change if we're not actively trying to do those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, I'm wondering here too, around children, you know, that it sounds like you can't and, and don't feel comfortable, um, being pregnant yourself, but there are other ways that you can be a mom. Um, well, it I'm- looks different. <laughs> I have dogs. Those are my kids. I don't care how anyone feels about it. I swear dogs are children. And um, I don't think I've gotten to a place where I've fully accepted that that's going to be my reality. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, you know, maybe one day I'll be rich enough to afford, you know, Mm -hmm. someone to watch my kids and be with me at all times. Probably not, but you know, but then I do think like what you said, which is there's a ways to be a mom the other way. I have nieces, I have nephews. Mm-hmm. Um, I buy them stuff all the time. Like when I mm-hmm. get a little bit of money, I do because I don't have, you know, my dogs too. Like mm-hmm. there's other ways to be motherly. My One of my aunts never had children. She always wanted them. And mm-hmm. she was very much like a motherly figure to me growing up. So you don't have mm-hmm. to have, I guess, give birth or even adopt mm-hmm. or even be with the person that sees you as their parent parental figure all the time. Like you said, yeah. so many other ways, like grandparents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I love what you said of just kind of like not letting go of who you were 
and also leaving space to maybe embrace who you're becoming and how your life is changing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard. It's hard. It is. And I do want to like thank you for saying what you said because I didn't even think about, you know, the fact that there are some things that you're not going to mm-hmm. be able to do. And that's just the reality, you know, like mm-hmm. shooting outside in the summer for a fashion show, for a fashion thing, probably not the best thing for me, probably not, not going to do that. So mm-hmm. it's true. There's always going to be something that you, you can't do and it's acceptance. And unfortunately, I think that's a part of most people's lives where something doesn't go the way you plan. Yeah. Um, but it's about, um, what's the word? Uh, not adjusting, but like, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, like coming to terms with coming to terms with your reality and accepting it and adapting yeah. um, because that's what humans do, no matter what, mm-hmm. like you just have to adapt and yeah, it's a lot of hella resilient. Yeah. Hella resilient. And everybody can, I, th- I do, I believe that everybody can be resilient if they have the tools and the resources to be able to help mm-hmm. them be resilient. Like, support. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm so happy that we finally got to connect because you're even more fantastic than I thought you were on Instagram. Um, And I would love for you to share a little bit of where people can find you um, and we'll list everything in the episode notes, but kind of how people can support you, um, whether that be like through following or I don't know if you do take any kind of payments if people want to, you know, help support your work. Um, if there's anything you want to share there. Um, that's a good idea. I've done it before, but I felt guilty, but I'm going to do the same thing where, you know, you put your, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to put my cash app, um, online. Um, but you can follow me on Instagram. My Username is at Cyan Bloom, so S Y A N N E B L O O M, and then TikTok. I'm not huge on TikTok, um, but you can follow me there. Same username. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been absolutely amazing, and I'm sending you all the positive vibes always. Um, thank you. This was just great. Thank you so much for having me. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for making it all the way through and keeping your ears, your hearts, and your minds open. It would mean so much to me if you could take a second or two after listening to this episode to leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. I love reading you know, what your favorite episodes are, where you guys listen, um, and definitely feel free to share this with a friend. I mean, part of how we break down the stigmas around these topics is by talking about them, right, and, and sharing them with more people. So definitely share the podcast. Um, and again, really wanting to include all of you in this podcast. So if you have questions or you want to share a thought or an experience, please send in a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And I'm really excited to keep having these conversations and uh, breaking down these stigmas. So thank you all so, so, so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll talk to you next time. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.